welcome back to the Calorie Deficit University podcast. My name is Alexis um, and I'm the show's founder, creator, and host. If you're new here, thanks so much for joining. I'd really appreciate it if you guys um, gave a review, if you've enjoyed the content, all those reviews, um, five-star reviews, um, help get the podcast out there, help it with ratings um, and promotions and things like that. So please, if you would, go ahead and um, tap that review, five stars. I would really, really appreciate it. If you are looking for more additional free content, encouragement, help, you can find me on Instagram at calorie deficit underscore and TikTok at Lex Bab um, because TikTok does not like calorie deficit. So we don't put that on there so that we can still reach people with the content. Um, but yeah, not on Twitter, also on YouTube, um, as calorie deficit university. So let's just hop right into today's episode of how to address hunger on a deficit. In my years of experience working with clients, hunger is one of the very nuanced, um, variables when it comes to weight loss, because it's so different for everyone. Um, and I really wish that I could just peel back the skin of my clients and get in to their skin and really figure out, okay, is their hunger normal? Um, is it abnormal? Is this a behavioral hunger? Is this a biological hunger, a hormonal hunger? And so, um, I'm going to try and help uh, break down those nuances and help you figure that out for yourself. Because um, when it comes to successful weight loss, hunger is usually the thing that keeps us from it. Um, besides all the other nuances that I've talked about before, when it comes down to it, um, that inclination towards hunger can really drive you crazy if you don't have the tools to figure out, is this normal? Is this not normal? And how to really work around it. So I'm going to try and break that down. Um, when you're trying to lose weight again, that is the context of this hunger, uh, storyline is weight loss, fat loss, right? You, on uh, when you're not trying to lose fat, hunger should not be something that you're battling or experiencing um, to an extreme extent. So I'm going to tell you what to expect when you're trying to lose weight and how to practically avoid unnecessary hunger because there's definitely unnecessary hunger that most people um, in America experience. So why is hunger so hard to understand and overcome? Um, most Americans are not taught how to regulate or understand their own hunger or even be in tune with their emotions as it relates to hunger. Um, and so there's a lot of perceived hunger rather than physical hunger when it comes to weight loss. If you have an excess amount of body fat, um, while you will still experience some levels of hunger, it's mostly um, related to hormonal hunger um, or emotional hunger rather than biological hunger because you, if you have excess body fat, you are technically not starving. You're not hungry. You don't need anything extra um, to survive. And so I think primarily in America, we've been really like marketed and manipulated into thinking I need three square meals a day and two snacks. And if I don't have those things, I'm going to die. I'm never going to make it. Um, when in reality, that's just not how your body was designed to function. You don't need excessive regular meal timing. Um, to exist, especially at your sedentary job. Um, and I hate that that probably feels like an ouch. Like, what do you mean? 
like I deserve my food, I deserve this, that, and the other. There is a lot of perception around demand and deserving for food um, and perceived hunger, and it's very misplaced. And so I'm going to try and help you replace that hunger um, appropriately. So when it comes to perceived hunger, you really, you think you're hungry when you're not. Um, This can be due to stress. This can be due to inadequate fueling, lack of fiber, lack of protein, lack of macronutrient, diverse micronutrient profiling, um, high cortisol levels. We know produce more hunger hormones, not biological hunger, um, just hormone um, hunger signaling. We know if you have any like other comorbidities like PCOS, diabetes, things like that, that can really change your perception of hunger hunger. Um, and then once you throw yourself into the wrench of our insane food environment, um, your perception of hunger is radically just put through the shitter. So there's been, if you haven't listened to this episode yet, I would recommend that I can, I can try and link it. Um, Jordan Syatt just did a podcast with two doctors. Dr. Spencer is someone who I've been following for a long time, who really changed my own perspective about, um, the struggle and disease of obesity and how, we have evolved um, really as a population. Um, our neuroreceptors have and hormonal signalings for hunger has really been fucked up by our current food environment. Um, and if you think about it, we now have generations of people from a young age that had access to ultra-processed, hyperpalatable foods. Um, we're also not taught about their hunger. Um, we're not taught about regulation of emotions and we're constantly able to eat whenever they wanted, eat in excess and eat foods that were low nutrient dense profiling, um, low macronutrient profiling. And also in addition to that being largely sedentary from adolescence, um, so when you've got all of those things going on as you are growing up and creating neurological pathways, um, how you think and communicate with food, how your food environment is, your stress environment, your activity levels, all of those things throughout your childhood create the baseline for what your adulthood will look like. And when you are raised in a pattern of behavior and in like what I just said is your neurological receptors change. And that is where food addiction can come into play. That is where like other things like alcohol addiction can come into play and then throw in a wrench of comorbidities or throw in a wrench of genetic predisposition to adiposity, which all that means is because your parents were fat, you might be fat too. Um, like those are just big, big sciencey words of some people are more predisposed to have more adipose fat, which is um, the bad type of excess body fat on their body um, rather than others. Like for example, like my adiposity, um, genetically pre- predisposed, uh, dispose adiposity is to keeping, um, excess body fat on my stomach. You can see that in my parents and my grandparents, so on and so forth. Um, all of those things throw huge wrenches into the, um, health environment. And 
hunger environment. And if you aren't um, hyper aware of those things or you aren't being taught those things from a young age, then as you get older, any attempts to regulate, monitor your weight um, or try to attempt to change your food environment will be met with a huge biological resistance. And so while that is valid, um, it, it can be changed and overcome over time. And that's where largely um, Dr. Spencer talks about these um, medications like Ozempic and Wegovy are really becoming popular because they help that neurological pattern of behavior. They take that food noise off, um, the edge off. But if not met with lifestyle changes, changing your food environment, increasing your physical activity level, it really doesn't um, make the largest impact that it could. So that's perceived hunger, right? Where you have this perception of, well, I think I'm hungry or I feel hungry, but you aren't biologically, physically hungry. When your body physically needs energy as food to function metabolically, physically, etc. So for the most part, a large part of the population in America does not experience physical hunger, i.e. the 70% of the country that is overweight, um, who has excess energy to expend. While the rest um, of the country, there are people who do experience food insecurity and real hunger because they do not have access to enough food. And homeless population, um, people who are on the street addicted to drugs, or maybe they really truly experience food insecurity, especially in children, they do not have enough money to buy food. Um, That can be that topic as a whole can be a really big wake-up call for you. Um, If me talking about food insecurity makes you really uncomfortable, then just like get ready to be uncomfortable, get ready to be rocked. Um, There is a conversation within this to be had, um, a very significant uncomfortable conversation to be had about the mass amount of people Um, in our country, both in children and adults who experience extreme food insecurity while you overeat. And I know people are like, oh, that's so icky. Alexis, you're trying to shame me. I'm not. I really just want to present you with real perception and real facts. I will also give you personal stories um, about myself um, to really help you understand how that changing your viewpoint, your worldview of food and hunger can really help you kind of breathe, relax, have freedom. Um, And if you can't change your perspective on food, then there probably isn't much that will change for you. Um, A lot of children rely on free lunches, um, provided school like taxpayer food, food banks, um, and other as their primary source of nutrients, as their primary meals for the days. Um, And that is a reality for a lot of people. If you are listening to this podcast, you're probably not one of those people who experiences extreme food insecurity. Um, I've talked about it 
before on the podcast, but um, I I did not experience food insecurity growing up. I had a yellow foods diet. I had unlimited, unmonitored access to mass amounts of ultra processed, um, low nutrient dense food. Um, my parents were busy, did not know any better, and just thought, "Thank God they're eating. They're athletic. I can't keep them." like from being anorexic. Genuinely, me and my brother were quite small individuals, lean from swimming and just burning off all of those, um, for the calories that we were eating. But still those patterns of behavior, while we didn't struggle with obesity, while we didn't struggle with being overweight, those eating patterns of behavior dramatically affected me, not so much my brother, but dramatically affected me as I became an adult and became largely sedentary throughout the end of college um, and now into like full-blown adulthood in corporate America Um, because I'm not swimming for three to six hours a day um, or, you know, running around being active. That really changes the flexibility that you can have with the food that you can can consume, um, especially when it comes to hunger and regulating hunger Um, versus my husband uh, grew up largely with um, very hinted undertones of food insecurity out of embarrassment um, and different things like that. But if his siblings were not able to have their meals provided at school, they would have largely gone without uh, when it came to eating um, and mealtime. There were a lot of the times where there was just like, we can't afford to buy that to eat. You have to eat this. Um, there was a lot of, we are going to go to discount food stores. If you are not familiar with those stores, you probably don't live in a low enough income area to even drive by them, go to them, know what they are. But basically what will happen in these low income communities is, Um, People will make a business out of selling expired food. So they'll go to these stores like Walmart or, you know, even smaller local grocery stores and food that is either damaged or expired. um, They will take them that from the store and then go and sell it at these discount food stores. Um, And it's expired food, it's dinged up food, it's like stuff that even the food bank wouldn't take um, because they like can't resell it. Um, And so they'll sell it at these little like rundown marts um, that you can go like buy them. And that's the food that my husband grew up largely eating. Um, And even like into college and stuff. Like it was funny. Like when I first met him, I was like, oh, this is so great. Like this is such a hack. Like I love this. Like go get discounted food. Like that's such a hack. And he was like, no, like this is what we did to survive. Like this is what we just do because we can't afford to go to the big box stores. Like we can't afford that. Like that would put us out. Um, and that's that's it. That's like really real. And that's how people really, really grow up now. Like his family is better off now. 
Um, but that was largely just my husband and his sister's childhood. It's kind of funny. Their youngest brother got like Gatorade and um, Reese's Puffs. And that was like a huge deal. And they would gripe about it all the time. They'd be like, oh, our younger brother is growing up with all this like great food. And we never got to eat that stuff. Um, but I think when you start to see that I and learn about those differences, you become dramatically aware of your own personal personal perceived learned entitlement to food. Um, and it's kind of, it's very uncomfortable. It was very uncomfortable for me. Um, but it's very interesting. Biologically, my husband does not have food noise. Um, and what I mean by food noise is he's not thinking about food ever. Um, he's never like craving food. He's never like, oh, when's my next meal going to be? What am I going to eat for my next meal? Oh, I can't wait to have this later. Or I'm, I'm kind of blah, 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 blah. He does not experience anything like that ever. He never thinks about food until he's actually hungry. Like, oh, I'm kind of hungry. I haven't eaten since breakfast. It's probably time for me to go get up from work and go get some lunch. Open the fridge. Okay, cool. I'm going to have um, this yogurt and this sandwich and I'll be good to go. Bye. That's as much as he thinks about food. And if anything, he'll think, oh, this week has been like a hard week. You know what? I'm going to go grab a frozen pizza because I want to do like frozen pizza and play video games tonight and not have to think about making dinner. So again, it's not food noise of like, oh, I need this pizza. I'm craving this pizza because I had a stressful week. It's I don't want to cook dinner. And so out of sheer convenience, I'm going to go get a pizza and he won't finish it. Like he'll get the pizza for himself and he'll probably have half of like a small frozen pizza because he's satiated. He's done. He's full. He puts it away. Um, I've never seen him binge eat ever in our almost eight years of being together even like at a fast food restaurant, he'll eat until he's full and be done and is fine. Even to say like, my plate isn't finished, which you would think like, oh, from a food insecurity, you'd think that he'd want to overeat. No, he's so in tune with what is enough when to stop eating that he does not overgorge himself versus me, someone who grew up with this extreme unlimited access to whenever, whatever of highly ultra palatable foods, I have an extreme food noise. Um, I would say out of my, out of a rate, like one out of 10, I have about a five or six food noise, um, on a regular basis. And then when it comes to when I'm in a deficit, my food noise is about a seven or an eight. Um, and because of discipline, and knowledge, I can usually through eating appropriate, like high protein, high fiber foods, I can bring that food noise down to a two or a three um, most days. And I think that that's challenging. Like that is a challenge every day. It's why I keep my energy or my, um, like my neat, my, all of my, um, daily walking and exercise quite high because I will always have food noise. Um, and that's where these medications, if you have other comorbidities, like, uh, you have cardiovascular, uh, risk or diabetes or tri- high triglycerides, high cholesterol, that's where these medications can qualify you to help you get rid of the food noise because of my athletic life. I have not had any, any of those, um, 
issues that would qualify me, but that food noise is loud. And I think that is the big differentiation between two people, right? As your success in hunger um, and, and overcoming hunger is really based on a lot of those factors that I listed, like how you were raised, being in tune with your hunger, the food that you ate growing up that helps your neurological receptors um, connect with your gut and your hunger hormones. Um, All of those things play a significant, really big role. And it's very interesting because even with my husband's upbringing, his mom has always struggled with weight loss because of emotional eating. Um, and his dad has always struggled with weight loss because of alcoholism. And even with those two factors, he has still not been ever obese or struggled with weight purely because of the food that he ate growing up and his lack of access to excess food growing up. Um, and then in addition to that being hyper like athletic, um, and playing sports as a kid. So, and people would be like, oh, sports as a kid. Well, he must've not had that much food insecurity. His grandparents took, um, money out of their 401k and their retirement savings to pay for his sports. So don't come for me in that. (laughs) Um, and they're old, like they, every old person, every person that's almost 80 had some type of a 401k if they worked some uh, unionized job. So into the additional nuances. So I've kind of talked about the teeter-tottering scale between current realities of hunger and where you might place yourself. And I said all of that information to help you feel empowered, not Uh, an excuse. Because even if you get on weight loss medication, it just takes away the food noise. It doesn't mean that it takes away your choice and you automatically somehow overnight are like, oh, I'd never want to eat a sleeve of cookies or I never ever want to eat out. It's just takes away the constant thinking and thought around food. And so you have to still adjust your lifestyle. There's no way to get around it. There's no short, quick, easy fix. Um, And so really figuring out your own nuanced hunger can help empower you to make the right decisions and create solutions for your hunger. Um, So that's, that's where that is. So I also don't today I'm not going to talk about um, emotional hunger because I've dedicated two part episodes to that. So if you are interested in learning more about emotional eating, um, I put those episodes, uh, that information in those episodes. Today we're talking about more of the hormonal, physiological, and perceived hunger. So when you are in a deficit, something that people really like to fight against and are like, that's toxic. It's, re- it's really not. Hunger is a normal um, experience. Hunger is a normal part of a biological process um, to keep you alive. It's made for survival. I think there is like a war on hunger in the media, and it's quite laughable to me with the data that we have that now almost over 70% of the population in America is overweight. We have access to food here. Like, yes, there's large populations and pockets with food insecurity, but for the most part, people have access to food and calorie per calorie, like dollar per dollar, 
they have access. So if, if you're hungry, like there are options to eat here. We, we have food insecurity, but not to the extent that other countries and nations, um, face it. So while you are overweight and in a fat loss phase, you are going to experience some levels of hunger. Um, you have excess energy, you have excess body fat when you're overweight to let go of and hunger is to be expected through that process because your body does not want you to change. It wants to keep you safe. It wants to keep you comfortable. It wants to keep you with that excess body fat because that is good for survival. If there's a famine, that's kind of how your, um, very like ancestral, uh, biological functions behave. So a normal amount, and this is going back to what I was just talking about, a normal amount of hunger is fine. Like, and what a normal amount of hunger is, is tolerable hunger, um, being hungry before a mealtime, like you're like, mm, time to eat. Um, even going to bed, not absolutely like stuffed is normal. Also not feeling completely gorged after every meal. I'm completely stuffed after every meal. Like when you eat, you're just like, mm, that was just enough food. Yum. Thank you. Um, and actually being hungry when you eat. So that is another thing too, is like a lot of the times when people are overweight, they're never really hungry when they eat. They're just eating because it tastes good or they're eating because it's mealtime, time to eat, or the expectation that dinner is it's dinner time I have to eat. And they never actually experience hunger of like, oh, I'm hungry. I need to eat. And so when you experience that feeling, when you're hungry, you'll eat. Like if you are actually hungry enough, you will eat the lean protein. You will eat the vegetables. You will eat the rice. Like if you are hungry enough, those things will be largely appetizing to you um, because it's food versus if you are not hungry enough and all you eat is junk and all you crave is junk and things like chicken and, and steak don't sound appetizing to you. I would challenge you that largely you are not hungry enough to desire those foods. Um, And that is uncomfortable. That is something that people really want to reject. Um, But I would challenge you that like you're not entitled to endless eating um, and overeating. There's no mindset where saying well, I demand and deserve and should always be able to eat as much as I want. That's just not um, the storyline to align with or believe in, especially if you're trying to lose weight. Again, this is the context of this episode is weight loss, uh, is fat loss. From a day-to-day normal basis, those are things that you won't be wrestling with or thinking about. So, you know, like I said, if you're hungry enough, you'll eat what's in front of you. I, another experience I had is, um, I went on, um, a long term, it was a mission, but I mean, we didn't do accomplish anything, but I went on a long term, um, period of, uh, extended stay living in Bangladesh and nobody was fat there. I'll tell you. And we ate what was in front of us. I did not like extremely spicy food. 
I did not like, I had never really eaten uh, large amounts of rice before I lived in Bangladesh. I had never really eaten large amounts of curry. Like, yes, my stepdad's from India, so I had eaten curry before. We primarily ate a lot of dal, um, but it was not like the primary aspect of my diet, especially being in athletics. I was just not, that was not my fueling source. But let me tell you, I was really hungry in Bangladesh all the time, (laughs) all the time, because we would eat curry and rice for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So breakfast would be like a light cold curry, um, which is like more watered down, very few lentils and rice, um, maybe an egg, maybe. Um, Lunch would be like either a cold curry if it was really hot day or a warm curry, And in between there, we would have had like a tea time with black tea, maybe a biscuit, and then um, some jackfruit or some type of fruit um, at at the end of the season, avocados and mangoes and things like that were starting to be in season. So we would eat that. Um, But lunch was like really light, really quick, and not really to me a lunch because to them, they had just eaten that tea time break snack. And dinner was always like maybe a fourth of like a chicken breast or a very small amount of um, chicken meat, an egg, and then lentil curry that was so spicy, like you just wanted to get it down and get it over with. Um, That was it. That, That was literally it for almost four months for me. Um... And that is how a lot of people live. And so I think that that is really good perspective when you're really stressed and freaking out about like, well, I really like to eat out or I really like this, giving up on those sentiments, Um, giving up on those baselines of, well, I have to have or do it because it's really not. Um, It's really, really not that serious. Um, And I think that there is that, very big scale between taking seriously your health and giving up on this mentality or attitude of like, I have to have or I will die um, because that's just not true. Or, but weighed out on the balance of the scale is, yeah, but food addiction, food noise, all of those things are really, really real. Um, and you have to address that too. Um So yeah, if you struggle with the, well, I can't stop eating that thing, really have to get to the root of that and really address it. And like, that is why our environmental changes with our food are really important. Not buying it, changing your access to food and over time adjusting your brain. um, And that will force it to actually eat what you put in front of it, changing your access. So deleting Uber app, and really sucking it up. And if you're hungry enough, you'll eat the healthy meals that you prepare for yourself. Um, And that's the really uncomfortable part of weight loss is changing those behaviors of eating out six, seven, eight times a week to once or nothing. And just saying, you know what? That's okay. And that is normal because the current food environment you live in right now is incredibly abnormal. So I, and again, I will just say with the most concern and empathy and love for you and and your health and your life, like most of you have never experienced food insecurity and it really shows. 
It really, really shows. Like every mealtime, I cannot tell you how genuinely thankful my husband is for our access to food and like the ability to just go to the grocery store and buy whatever. Um, and, and is largely in tune with whether he's actually hungry or not. Um, and so I would really, really challenge, I will tell you, like, it was very uncomfortable for me to address that within myself of growing up in privilege of always having access to food, never really wondering where my next meal was going to come from or what, like, yeah, Uh, it's very uncomfortable, but you have to address it and you just have to be like, look, self, you have extreme abnormal access to excess calories Yes, you probably struggle with food noise. I need to work, you know, yes, you need to work on addressing that. But the best way to address food noise is to eat high fiber, high protein, ultra nutrient dense foods um, for a long period of time. The food noise really dims down because you're not, you're not deficient when you're actually feeding and fueling your body and it starts to get a lot better and easier. Um, and so there is that tough shit talk of people, you let food control you just like drugs control people. It's really interesting. Um, I will watch in, in individuals who are ultra achieving. Like I've had clients who are doctors and lawyers and business owners, multimillionaires who are ultra achieving, ultra, ultra achieving, ultra driven, disciplined individuals, like very rare people who have lots of success through sacrifice and discipline in their lives, in their families, in their personal development. But when it comes to food and when it comes to alcohol, they are just as addicted like someone who is doing drugs. And it's so interesting because they go out of their way to judge those people and they go out of their way to judge those people's behaviors, but there's really not much that separates them. And so (laughs) the really, the both thing that the, both of those groups of people are seeking is escaping, escaping their current reality and entering into a new one, right? Escaping your responsibilities, masking pain, um, not being willing to address, um, your emotional eating, not being willing to address making change, um, making time, for your nutrition, making time for your mental health, like all of those things are really hard and they don't give you immediate gratification. They don't make you money um, or anything like that. And that's where I would challenge you. It's funny. A lot of people think like when they meet me or want to sign up with me in coaching, they're like, oh, like you're just tough as shit. Like you're tough as nails. Like you're going to help me be disciplined. You're going to hold me accountable. Like you're going to kick me in the ass. And then it's funny. They learn that I'm actually a quite like, first of all, chill person. That's a new thing, but very chill person, not the drill sergeant that they think I am. Um, very empathetic, uh, slow paced person and actually incredibly lazy. I'm an incredibly like inclined person to laziness um, and not in the way that you think. I've spent the majority of my life um, 
really striving for perfectionism um, and really striving for like outdoing my own personal laziness because if I'm not on that route rat race of trying to outperform um, my inclination to want to just rest, um, I won't get anything done. And my perception of working is both of, I have very, very ultra successful doctors as parents, like their output is abnormal. And so I've always judged my own personal output based on their abnormal output and have never felt like it's enough. And so I've largely felt like a lazy person, even though I have an extreme amount of output and it's totally pulverized me into the ground. And so when you meet me now, um, I, I still, as a quote unquote disciplined person, have a natural inclination to want to be lazy and never go to the gym, never eat what I need to eat. Like I'm just like you, like my hunger noise is loud. Um, all of these things, like I'm just like you. And it's not that I have it figured out. It's not that I like am more disciplined than you. It's just that every day I choose to do it and choose to make the choice to go to the gym and eat what I need to eat. Because I know with all the power and the knowledge and the perceptions that I have, I've changed the way that I look at life and the way I look at food and health is I know the truth. I know that it's my job. No one's coming to save me. I know that if I don't want to bitch and whine about it, I have to get it done. It's on me. It's on my shoulders and nobody else. And that's learned. That is learned perception. No one's going to come help me lift the weights. No one's going to come help me figure out what to eat or make my meals for me. It's on me. And so having that perception, like letting your perceived hunger rule over you is not good. And two, of course, like the nuance of mental health, like I choose to do what I do because it makes me feel better for my mental health. And if I don't do it, like, oh, and so I think that a lot of people when it comes to weight loss are not desperate enough, truly not desperate enough for change. Um, because you figure it out when other things get hard. Um, but you're never in this current perceived environment ever going to be truly desperate enough until you experience some extreme thing like a heart condition, or you experience something extreme like, like food insecurity or something extreme like medical problems or cancer. Like people don't really want to change until they get really uncomfortable. And so you have to choose on discomfort for yourself every day to try and get better. And I really, really, really think even with this other, you know, part of the scale that I talked about with food noise and generational issues and all the other nuances I've talked about before, when it comes down to weight loss, being upset with on being uncomfortable is largely why people quit and give up as they're like, oh, this is not comfortable. It's really hard. And I can't do this for more than a couple weeks. 
Um, instead of taking it day by day, really dedicating like, look, I'm going to give this shit a year long. I'm going to take the long-term approach, going to really, really push through for an entire year and be the master of my soul, the master of my mind and change everything. People don't do that. Because everything is immediate gratification, click of a button, like we're becoming very, our our behavior is becoming very um, toxic. And so I will tell you like this other story of a good example of another part of the nuance scale. Um, You personally may have created your own hell and you're choosing to live in it in a negative way, your own food environment hell. So I will tell you about a time when I literally wrote down in my notes, Alexis was a bad girl in corporate America. (laughs) I had a corporate job because I was not making enough money being a personal trainer um, in person because they pay you dog booty butt hole. They do not pay you well at all. Um, And so I was like, look, I can't do this anymore. I can't do the 4 a.m. to 8 p.m. every single day. And I need um, benefits and time off. And so I'm going to enter into corporate America and like figure out personal training later. Um, (laughs) So I created within that though, my own personal toxic hell of being ultra performative, ultra obsessed with being the best, doing my best, making the most money. And I literally drove myself into a health conuption of my mental health was off the rails. I wanted to literally die every day. Um, And I stopped going to the gym because I quote unquote, didn't have the energy. I had the energy. I just was prioritizing corporate America and my job over my health. And I would sit all day, every day, not walk, be literally attached at the hip to my computer, um, ultra depressed. And then of course started eating like crap. Um, because I was like, Oh, I'm too tired. I can't cook for myself. Not true. That was my own personal choice to eat like crap, to sit and sit, feel sorry for myself and say, wah, wah, wah. Like you feel depressed. You feel sorry for yourself. I personally worked myself into a conuption, a tizzy of that corporate America stress because I did not create boundaries with my job. Um, like I should have. And that I literally took almost an entire year off training, off health, and I gained so much body fat, so much, so quickly because I was literally overnight, completely sedentary and eating excess, excess, excess every day, every single day. And that was my own personal health that I created for myself, chose for myself. Um, And so I would challenge you of like, you have power, you have choice, you have the ability to create boundaries, um, to do things to pull yourself out of that situation. And I know that that feels icky to hear because listen, I would not have wanted to hear it when I was in the thick of my conuption. Um, But that's what anxiety does. That's what depression does. It kind of blocks you off from wanting to hear any logical steps or conclusions to take to try and alleviate some things that you're feeling. Um, Which like the logical way to have gotten out of that situation probably would have been to change jobs because it was a toxic work environment, but to create boundaries with them um, and put myself first and really just like not give a fuck 
Um, but I wasn't grown enough. I wasn't mature enough. I was not, I did not have the skill sets to do that. And so I would encourage you is like, take a deep breath, realize that like your job is just a job, um, really prioritize your health and learn how in small minuscule ways to prioritize that. Um, because again, you could be a large contributor to your own personal hell that is keeping you from achieving your weight loss. So practical ways to address hunger. You've heard it here before, so I'm just going to list them off for the very practical ways. We've talked about all the theory. We talked about all the hypotheticals. We talked about perception change. Now here are the practical ways to address your hunger. You have to eat fiber, 25 grams minimum a day for women, 35 grams minimum a day for men. You have to eat enough protein. Um, at each and every meal time. It's not get my fiber in in the morning and I'm don't worry about it for the rest of the day. Every single meal time needs to have fiber and protein. You need to stop trying to eat as little as possible. Stop trying to starve yourself. Stop trying to skip meals. You have to eat consistently and nutritiously even when you're in a deficit to see long-term changes with adherence because you struggle with adherence. That's the thing. So stop trying to be as skinny as possible, eat as little as possible, and just eat the damn food, eat within the calorie range, and stop trying to push it and make it go faster than what you really can adhere to and tolerate. Stop drinking your calories. If you are in a deficit, there's no need to be drinking 400 calorie smoothies and shit like that. I get if you have struggled, get getting in your protein, doing a protein shake, fair life shakes are great. Um, but having an entire liquid meal is not serving you in a deficit. Again, in the context of a deficit, eating highly satiating foods on the satiation scale, like potatoes and, and stuff. I will literally personally force myself to try and eat pasta and oats while I'm on a deficit and I will live to regret it when I do, because it is not satiating comparatively to potatoes or even rice. Meal timing is largely important, sticking to a schedule, sticking to a routine, um, cutting off meal timing, saying like, look, I've eaten enough for today. I need to stop cutting off the eating at, like at night before you go to bed um, it has been shown to help as well with um, regulating hunger hormones. Eating something before bed is good. So it's like, you know, an hour before you're about to go to bed saying, I'm going to eat a high fiber like yogurt or something. And that's going to be my last meal time. That can help a lot. Um, not buying the bullshit. You don't need it. You don't need to buy it. Buy the other stuff. Uh, deleting Uber Eats, deleting food delivery apps, things like that. Um, not buying alcohol drinking water, walking more, uh, maintaining a regular bedtime um, and getting enough sleep, largely underrated for regulating hunger. No TV late at the in the night. That is actually largely because a lot of the times food commercials come up, there's food and TV, um, and that can spark your interest to want to eat when you're not hungry. Um, not eating when you're watching TV. So focusing on eating when you're eating, chewing your food, um, focusing on the taste of the food and not being distracted while you eat, stop being an iPad kid, um, and overall reducing your stress and anxiety, getting your cortisol levels down so that you can start to genuinely regulate your hormonal hunger and more rely on the physical hunger cues. I will tell you, mental toughness is a big one. 
digging deep, addressing your shit, again, realizing no one is coming to save you. If you think that you need weight loss medication, get it. Go talk to a doctor. If you think that your food noise is a 12 out of 10, go talk to your doctor. If you also have all these comorbidities like high cholesterol, heart disease risk, fatty liver disease, like figure out your shit. No one is coming to help you. No one is coming to save you. Like modern innovations have genuinely made us largely mentally weak. And I'm the first one to raise my hand and say, yeah, I've had to work on my mental toughness because I have been a weak little shithead. Do hard things. Push yourself. The The standard for excellence is so low. Read a book, go on a walk, do meditation, create boundaries with your job, with your family, like figure it out figure it out. Don't consume endless bouts of media all day long, day in and day out. Get what needs to be done, done. If you're tired, go to sleep. Largely, your mentality will will change if you start with this one statement. If you believe that you can't, you won't. If you believe that you can, you will. And so I will leave you with that. If you believe that you can, you will be so incredibly shocked at the things that you can achieve. And then apply that to the long game. Show up every single day relentlessly, never give up. Even when things are hard, say, I'm going to try. I'm going to try. I'm going to try because I can. I can and I will. I can and I will. And your brain will show up for you and it really, really will but it takes accountability, it takes discipline, and it takes a lot of fucking time of pounding the pavement, trying again, failing, being okay with failure, and just refusing to give up. And remember that this is just for a period of time. Fat loss is just for a period of time. It's not forever and ever and ever and ever. Largely, you like for the most part, hopefully you would take your weight loss approach in a phasic system. You'd be go through a fat loss phase, you go through a maintenance phase, maybe you go through a building phase, go back to a fat loss phase. And this fat loss phase of being uncomfortable is not forever. And you will be okay. If you can, you will. If you will, you can. You can do this. Believe in yourself. Challenge yourself to achieve and do hard things. You are capable of so much more. And so again, Analyze and assess your own hunger and realize that certain levels of hunger are really okay in a fat loss period. And part of the fat loss is being uncomfortable. But at the same time, there are parts of the population that experience uh, excess extreme bouts of hunger, and that should be addressed with your doctor. So hopefully this helps you understand a little bit more how to prevent your hunger, understand your hunger, change your perception, um, and really get free from the shackles of the toxic, uh, cycle of eating that we have in America and changing your food environment at large. Thank you so much for listening to the episode today. I hope you guys enjoyed and we'll catch you next week. <music>